You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. With over 8,000 threat hunters analyzing over 65 trillion signals daily, Microsoft works tirelessly with the federal government to keep our nation's data secure. This 30-year-plus partnership is driving mission innovation that is secure by design. Whether optimizing your existing defenses or tackling advanced threats with AI, Microsoft gives you the intelligence and the automation you need to defend at mission scale. Let's work together to stay ahead of emerging threats and secure your mission anywhere. Learn more at aka.ms slash fedcyber. That's aka.ms slash fedcyber. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the CyberWire's Research Saturday. I'm Dave Bittner, and this is our weekly conversation with researchers and analysts tracking down threats and vulnerabilities, solving some of the hard problems of protecting ourselves in a rapidly evolving cyberspace. Thanks for joining us. What we found was that this problem that we had found in this one customer was actually much more widespread. This is something that is likely affecting thousands of cloud accounts worldwide. That's Matt Chiodi. He's chief security officer for public cloud at Palo Alto Networks. The research we're discussing today is their second half 2020 edition of their biannual Unit 42 cloud threat report. Don't struggle to align your organization's cybersecurity with business risk. Get the only solution that goes beyond reacting to threats with vulnerability and risk monitoring. You need the next evolution of MDR, and only Critical Start delivers it. Critical Start doesn't just monitor and respond to threats. They put you in control by detecting suspicious activities, quickly responding to contained threats, and identifying your most critical assets and protecting them against vulnerabilities and exposures. With continuous visibility, expert guidance, and measurable risk reduction, Critical Start has redefined what it means to manage cyber risk. Demonstrate provable security maturity to your leadership while positioning your program to achieve the greatest risk reduction per dollar spent. Stop fearing risk and start managing it with Critical Start. Visit criticalstart.com and request a demo today. That's criticalstart.com. We wanted to really understand the impact of cloud misconfigurations, right? So uh, we were actually approached by one of our customers to do a red team exercise on their AWS environment. And as part of that red team exercise, right? So one thing I'll say there is that Unit 42, we don't typically carry out offensive operations, right? We are strictly a research organization. But in this case here, we made an exception because of the sheer scale and size of this customer. So hmm. we carried out a red team exercise. And in doing that, we very quickly discovered two critical AWS misconfigurations in less than a week uh, that could have led to a multi-million dollar data breach. Hmm. 
Well, can, can you give us some insights here? Because I think all of us are, are aware of the the kind of um, you know endless chain of stories that we hear about people just sort of leaving their AWS buckets out there hanging, you know, wide open inadvertently through misconfigurations. But I, I suspect there's some nuance there that we might be missing, you know, with the bigger picture. Sure, sure. That's a great question, Dave. And you're right. This wasn't a case of, you know, a customer having a misconfigured bucket or anything like that. This was something I would say slightly more complex. So this had to do at the core of it, right? This was not an AWS misconfiguration, right? It had nothing to do with anything that AWS did. This had to do with exactly how the customer had an IAM role misconfigured, right? So this had to do specifically with identity. And again, our researchers in just about a week were able to find this misconfigured role and then they were able to exploit it to the end where they were able to get complete in total control over this customer's AWS environment. So this one wasn't an S3 bucket right up front, but they were able to use this misconfigured identity, this misconfigured role. And then from that, they were able to get to everything that was supposed to be inside this environment. So yes, they were able to get to S3 buckets. Um, they were able to get to uh, encryption keys. And eventually they were able to own the entire environment. Can you give us some insights as to what happened on on the client side? You know, what 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 did they overlook? What what caused the error on on their end that you all were able to uncover? That's a good question as well. I mean, I think from from our perspective, you know, our our assumption going in was, look, this is a a massive massive customer, right? They they themselves ran a SaaS platform that they then turned around and offered to their customers. So our assumption going in was that they were going to have uh, stellar, absolutely stellar security across the board and that we probably wouldn't really find anything. In this case here, where this customer had not done a good job, it didn't have anything to do with patching, right? Their, their systems, as far as we could tell, were very, were very well patched, um, things like that. They didn't have any kind of um, application misconfigurations or application um, patches that were missing. In this case here, it had to do with the fact that they did not have strong identity and access management governance. And all that means is that, you know, in the cloud, and this, I would say, this is an area that is very different from the on-premise world. So in the on-premise world, when you're talking about identity, you're dealing with usernames, passwords, groups, and permissions. You have those four key elements. In the cloud, you have all four of those, but then on top of it, you have this, this new thing, which is a role, right? And typically there's just not one role in a cloud account. You could have hundreds in a single cloud account. And that was the case with this customer. So all we happened to find was just one of those roles that was misconfigured, right? In this case, it had a wild card, right? It had that asterisk in there. And that simply meant that once we were able to find this misconfigured role, all we had to do was figure out, okay, what else does this give us access to? And that's how we were able to get in and then start to jump around and, and be able to eventually own the entire environment. And to be clear here, I mean, this is a this is a well-resourced company we're talking about here. These are not folks who are, you know, scraping for every dollar to try to do things right. It wasn't a matter of, of them, uh, you know, not having the, the team and the resources to, to get it right the first time. Absolutely. Uh, this, this customer has a, a large security team. They likely spend millions of dollars a year on their cybersecurity. And again, by all our, all, everything that we could tell, and we were given very limited information, right, um, on the environment. 
as far as we could tell, they were doing most things right. And this just happened to be one area that they simply overlooked. And, and this is an interesting kind of intersection as well that we found, right? So we do our cloud threat reports just about every six months. And so in February of this year, February of 2020, uh, we did a, a different exercise where we actually looked at something known as infrastructure as code templates, right? And that sounds kind of uh, technical, but all it means is that, you know, in the old way of building applications in, in the cloud, you would go in and you had to manually, you know, I want to click here for some storage, click here for some networking. Now, all that's done in a template or in code. And so with the way that fits with this current customer that we're talking about, they used infrastructure as code templates. And because of that, they actually made the problem worse because they had this one misconfigured role and then they used these templates to create their subsequent environments. They actually replicated that misconfiguration to their other environments. And that is what allowed us to get to all of their environments and own their entire infrastructure. Hmm. So what's what's the lesson here? I mean, for for organizations uh, you know around the world, what, what sort of uh, steps should they be taking to make sure that they're not uh, having the same sort of thing happen to them? Yeah, I mean, I think from from our perspective, kind of what we walked away with is that you know for many years, the things that have been at the forefront has been you know make sure your systems are all patched, and that is absolutely still a baseline important thing. You have to make sure systems are patched. In that case, in this case here, this customer was patched. We talk about, you know, make sure that you've got, you know, strong passwords. Um, we did not exploit anything to do with passwords, right? And as far as we know, they had strong passwords. What we walked away with here is that organizations, uh, especially those that have great scale in the cloud, they need now to be absolutely focused on identity and access management and the governance of it, right? Because in the cloud, this is something that's different, right? So in even in a in an on-premise world, right? If a system itself, let's say you have a, just a server and let's say that it's missing a patch and someone exploits that patch, they're they're able to now get onto that system. The blast radius, right, of what they're able to do is typically limited to just that system, right? Attacker gets in, they may be able to get on that individual system, and then, of course, they, they start to look laterally, what else can I see? But that's, that's usually the, the major, the biggest part of it. Unfortunately, in the cloud, if you have misconfigured identities or misconfigured roles, like we saw in this case here, the blast radius can be much larger. Instead of it just being a single host that can be compromised, it, in this case here, and you know, I'll talk about the second part of our research in a minute, the blast rate is just not just the host anymore. Now it could be the entire cloud infrastructure that's attached to it. So that, that's kind of one of the big takeaways uh, that, we, that we found as part of this research is that it, the, the blast radius and the impact tends to be much greater than it would have been if this was a, you know, a traditional on-premise environment. Well, let's move on and talk about the, the second uh, part of your research here. What else did you discover? So, you know, we, we thought, okay, you know, we carried out this exercise, and as I mentioned, in a very short period of time, we were able to compromise the environment. We wanted to pull back and really try to understand, okay, you know, yes, this is a well-resourced customer, but, you know, maybe they just, they just had a bad day, right? Maybe this was just a, a misconfiguration and uh, it would never happen again. So we wanted to look more broadly across the, across the uh, kind of the, the industry just to see how big 
of a problem is it? And so what we did was is we looked at one of our favorite sources for uh, public data, and that is GitHub. Most people know GitHub. It's a, it's a place where developers love to store their code, share, share code, et cetera, store it there. And what we did is we leveraged GitHub and we downloaded well over 100,000 repositories that are publicly available using the GitHub searching API. We then began to mine through that looking for AWS account IDs, right? So we found, you know, literally thousands of AWS account IDs. The next step in the process was making sure that they were valid accounts. And so we were able to do that. And then we started to also mine that data to look for uh, those, I, those IAM roles that we were talking about previously. And so basically we have now have a list of valid AWS accounts and a list of the most common role names. And then we just started different combinations, trying these out, right? And this is exactly what an attacker would do. They would try to do an attack that maybe is not even directly against a customer because they might see that, but they get as much information as they can in a very kind of low and slow way. And that's exactly what we did here. And what we found was that this problem that we had found in this one customer was actually much more widespread. In fact, we found literally hundreds of EC2 backups Right, that were uh, that we would have been able to access had we not been, uh, you know, ethical in how we were doing this. Uh, we found uh, encryption keys that were available publicly, and there were many accounts that, again, had this not been Unit Forty Two, had this been an actual attacker, that they could have gotten access to. So, again, we walked away from this saying, you know, this wasn't an isolated issue with one customer. This is something that is likely affecting thousands of cloud accounts worldwide. How can organizations go about checking themselves out? Is this a matter of a of an internal audit? I mean, obviously, this organization reached out to you to to test this. Is it likely that they would have found it on their own through their own processes? You know, they may have found it uh, eventually, right? But unfortunately, and I mean, I say fortunately, in the case of this customer, they were able to um, had forensics involved, and they were able to determine that they they were not breached. No one else, luckily, had discovered this. Um, but a lot of times, you know, uh, clients don't get don't get lucky, right? So I think in this case here, what what I would say organizations really need to focus on moving forward. Is, is two things. And we talk about this uh, in the report. Near the end of it, we basically give 10 recommendations or best practices for really trying to eliminate these types of things. So I won't go over all 10, but I'd say you know there's three, in my view, that really stand out. The first is just the whole concept of granting least privilege. And all that means is, look, um, it's about figuring out, you know, here's a developer, what is it that they need to do on a regular basis. And then it's just figuring out how do I give them the ability to do what they need to do and give them the ability to do nothing else. That is the concept of least privilege. What we see oftentimes, though, is that these accounts for developers, they may start off in some kind of development environment and they start off with a lot of privileges. And then as things get down the road, those privileges never get pulled back. And then that per, uh, that perpetuates itself into then production environments. So number one is to really look for a way to grant least privilege to start. And then the second one has to do with just, you know, we talk a lot about auto remediation in the industry. How can you make things automatic? But when it comes to these types of identity misconfigurations, it becomes really important to automatically look for, right? So in this case here, 
what this customer is now doing, but could, should have been doing in the past, is they should have been automatically scanning their IAM roles looking for these types of misconfigurations. And you can do that. And then when you find it, instead of just kind of throwing out an alert and saying, hey, we have a misconfiguration, actually automatically fixing it. These are the types of proactive things that we believe customers absolutely need to be doing. You know, with the speed of DevOps, it must be automated. It cannot be manual. You know, as organizations scale their cloud infrastructure, a lot of times the the focus on the cost of doing that, it might be glossed over simply because, you know, when organizations are spending a lot on cloud, a lot of times people don't really catch if, you know, maybe there's a couple thousand dollars more in one month. And mm-hmm. the people that the attackers that are carrying out these crypto jacking attacks, they've gotten smart. They don't take up, you know, tons and tons of resources anymore because they know it, they're going to get caught. And so they specifically design their scripts to actually run at a low utilization. And so, you know, they can oftentimes go for longer periods of times and not get caught in these environments. And again, poorly configured environments are the ones that are most at risk to crypto jacking. Our thanks to Matt Chiodi from Palo Alto Networks for joining us. The research is the second half 2020 edition of their biannual Unit 42 Cloud Threat Report. We'll have a link in the show notes. And now a word from our sponsor, Sixth Sense. Sixth Sense provides award-winning cloud-based automated endpoint and vulnerability management solutions to streamline IT and security operations. With its advanced platform, businesses gain complete visibility and control over their infrastructure, reducing IT and security risks and optimizing operational efficiency. With Sixth Sense, you'll get real-time alerts, risk-based vulnerability prioritization and remediations, and an intuitive automation and orchestration engine so you can focus on your core business goals. Confident in the knowledge that your enterprise is secure, compliant, and running smoothly. To learn why enterprises choose Sixth Sense, visit SixthSense.com. The CyberWire Research Saturday is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. 